Now, I've got four or five passages of Scripture that we're going to read in a little bit, in addition to Colossians 1. So, can I pass a bunch of these out, and we'll just kind of get to them as we go. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Mark, you get that one? Dan, I saw your hand. I'll, I'll take you to a funny place. Exodus 33, 20. Okay, you can find your way all over back to the Old Testament. All right. Uh, I need somebody to be in John 1. John, that would be good. John, I'm going to have you read John 1.18, and then later I'm going to have you also read John 1, 1 through 3. So there's a couple of different times we'll use that. And then one more, Acts 4.12. Thank you, Cindy. That'll be great. Okay, we'll get started here in just a second. Now, uh, just a little review. We, we started here last week. We're going to be here through the fall uh, weeks, but uh, in, the, in the book of Colossians, and I've said to you that I just can't do without this section of Scripture in terms of getting to know who Jesus is. Last week, we uh, said that um, uh, it was kind of delivered by the, the founding pastor of the church in Colossae, a guy by the name of Epaphras that we don't know a whole lot about. He's mentioned in Colossians 1.17. He's mentioned as a fellow prisoner in Christ in Philemon 123. And so we know that um, uh, apparently he was incarcerated with Paul uh, at one time. Scholars speculate that Epaphras came to Christ by being witnessed to by the Apostle Paul, maybe in prison. And uh, then Epaphras goes back to his home region, starts a church in Colossae. At some point, he says, I've got to go back and find Paul and tell him what's going on here. And so he tells him, Paul then writes this letter, hands it to Epaphras and says, go back and encourage them with this. And you and I get to read it. That, that's pretty, uh, pretty wonderful to me to think about this. Now, it may be, we didn't talk about this a whole lot last week, but if you look at verse 28, we're not even going to study this today. We'll study it next week. But the, maybe the key verse of this whole book is 128. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's kind of Paul's aim here. Now, I'm going to ask Steve Blair, if you will, Steve, can I get you to read? We're going to start at 15, and I want you to read all the way down to 23. We'll get that whole, the whole lesson read today, and then we'll come back and take it apart. Steve, would you read for us? Is the image of the end of this... In, uh, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I like that. Is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation? For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Beautiful, isn't it? In, um, in the first century, uh, really actually early part of the second century, um, a, a, a Roman magistrate by the name of Pliny the Younger, guess what his dad's name was? Probably Pliny the Older, yeah. Um, um, was sent on mission to go to Palestine and report on this cult group of the Jews that are sometimes called Christians, sometimes called the way. And Pliny reports back, it's interesting that we have record of this from 100-something A.D. Pliny reports back to the emperor Trajan and says, you know what I found? Among other things, he was kind of studying what they were doing when they got together. Among other things, they sing hymns to Christ as to God. Now, catch how dramatically important that fact is. Uh, in fact, I should have had Steve sing this portion because we believe this, in the original language, it, the rhythm of it is such that we think this was used, uh, maybe sung, maybe chanted in the early church as an early Christ hymn, this section from 15 down to at least about verse 20. Um, and so, but isn't it interesting that one of the things that a, that a totally secular person said as he observed the early churches, they were singing about Jesus. Just like the Jews had sung about God. So this is going to help us tie this together. Now, here's my question. Kind of get us started. If you could meet any celebrity living, or maybe one that hadn't been passed on too long, if you meet any celebrity, who would you most like to meet? Elvis. Elvis, really? Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't thought of Elvis. Okay. Charlton Heston. All right. Moses. Moses. Who'd like to meet Moses? Okay, but Charlton Heston will do. All right. Uh, somebody else. Who? Who? Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. That's because you and I are motorcycle riders, Wayne, and it. <laughs> He's still making movies, Paul. He's dead. Just he just had, he, he forgot to crawl off, my mom would say, yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood, okay. This is fun. Who would you most like to meet? What celebrity would you most like to meet? No fair saying Jesus. Julia Roberts. Who? Julia Roberts. L.E. told me it was he, he would most like to meet uh, Brad Pitt because they look so much alike. But uh, <laughs> You know his mom and dad? Well, they, they're from Shawnee or somewhere. Aren't they? Yeah. 
Well, probably if you had to pin me down, one, one of them, you know, I thought about this more than you did, but one of them, I would love to have met Mickey Mantle because he was my favorite baseball player of all time. And, and the reason I'm a Yankees fan is not necessarily because I love New York, but because I just, you know, we watched a lot of Yankees when I was growing up because that was the only game, on, it was a game of the week every week, it seemed like, on the black and white TV, you know, in my house in Paul's Valley. And, and, um, and, and Mickey was from Oklahoma, so that was a big deal. But the truth is, we never met. I would love to meet Bruce Hornsby. I'd love to say, dude, how did you think of how to play like that? It's just so different. If you don't know who Bruce Hornsby is, look it up, listen to some of his music. Now, can I tell you this? I've met Jesus. (laughs) I know him. I've met Jesus. Now, just like whatever celebrity it is that you would pick, the people of Colossae knew about Jesus a little bit, but they didn't know very much about him. They had expressed faith. That's interesting. How wonderful that, they, that, that um, Epaphras could go back to Paul and say, man, they, they've expressed faith in Jesus, but they hardly know him. I'm trying to, to get us there. And Paul said, well, let me help you. Um, they had a lot to learn. So when one of the things you might think about as we start this, who do people inside the church think Jesus is? Who do people outside the church think Jesus is? By the way, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if people outside the church would look at us and say, I'm not exactly sure who Jesus is, but I think he must be like that person. Okay? That's kind of what it's supposed to be like, right? So... Um, uh, as we read this, um, uh, maybe you got the picture here a little bit of who Jesus is. Now, I want us to begin with just the first phrase in, um, in verse 15. We won't even go to the second phrase yet. We'll fill in the first blank here. All right. Jesus Christ displays who God is. The apostle says the son is the image of the invisible God. Yes. Would you accept represents who God is? <laughs> you're, you're trying to get ahead of me, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I will. See, Jesus Christ represents who God is. But the idea here is a visual thing, more or less. I'm, I'm looking behind me because I didn't check to see if there was a pen back here, and I think there is. So the word, the word is icon. The image The icon. So it's literally the the place from which we get our English word, I-C-O-N, icon. It's spelled in Greek, I think, E-I-K-O-N, icon. Okay? Um, Jesus is the icon of Father God. All right? Now, when we unpack that a little bit, uh, we learn that... um, The idea conveyed here, this Greek word for image, is not referring to his physical form. So that's why I want to kind of push back just a little bit, Brad. He's not talking about Jesus, what God looks like. Because frankly, none of us really know what Jesus looked like, right? We'll know someday. While the image is not referring to physical form. It's explaining that Jesus Christ helps us better understand who God is. If you want to know what God is like, he's like that. 
Now, think about it this way. What would we know about God today if we didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It'd be hard to kind of know. We'd go back there. Yeah, we'd go back where you're going to read in a little bit, and we're, and we're going to get kind of that image of who God was. And this is, by the way, what causes people to reach, reach the mistaken conclusion sometimes. There's a different God in the New Testament as in the Old Testament, as there was in the Old Testament. Um, now, uh, uh, someone um, agreed to, uh, Mark, I think it was you, First John 1. Now, this is from a guy who knew him. This is from John, who walked and talked with him, ate fish with him on the beach. He's going to say, this is what I know about him. Uh, first four verses of 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appears, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Uh, what you got to catch here is, John is going to say, as an eyewitness, yeah, he was with them for three and a half years, God has appeared in fact, it kind of as he begins this, he's going to say, I touched him. I handled him. He said, it says we, but he's talking about personally. We handled him. Okay. So the idea here is that in the Old Testament, people, the people of God couldn't even draw near to God. Um, he was viewed as way too holy. So what happens, John says, is that God drew near to us since we couldn't come close to him, in Jesus. Now, there was, um, there was kind of a penalty to be paid in the Old Testament for trying to get close to God. In fact, they felt like if they saw him, it was going to be problems. Dan, read Exodus 33, 20. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Thanketh thee for reading from the, from the, the uh, King James. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't see me but because nobody can see me and live. You catch that? Wow. And yet John says, we saw him. Amen. We handled him. Um, um, John, read John 1.18 from the Gospel of John. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. <laughs> No one has seen God. There's one version of this that says, no one has seen God at any time. But God, the one and only. That, there are lots of words that fill in that next blank, uh, that next kind of section there. God, the one and only, has made him known. Uh, one, one translation says, he has explained him. He has demonstrated him. What was your word, Brad? Mine represents he was representative. But you see how it even goes deeper than that. He has made him known. He has explained him. That's Jesus' role. Okay, now, so 
as such, if we begin in the second half of that 15th verse, Paul is going to call him the firstborn of all creation. Now, we've got to be really careful here, okay, because the word, oh, Paul, I'm hoping you'll be half impressed with me using a little bit of Greek today, okay? You're so good to give us Greek. Um, the word is a compound word, proto tokos. Prototokos. Now, um, the idea, uh, I think, proto means, in Greek, means first, firstborn, okay? So the idea first here, uh, and, and the second half of that means birth, okay, or bringing forth. So the idea here is a bit, um, in, in ancient culture, certainly in Jewish culture, but he's writing to, to Greek cultured people mainly, but the idea would be that the firstborn in any family was kind of the boss of things. Um, uh, we read that in in, um, in the Old Testament, even. Is that even uh, if it's a lady, a woman? Do, I'm sorry. Even if it's a she. Okay, we're not even going to go there, Laura, because because they kind of got that one wrong. You know, they got that one wrong in those days. Uh, there you go, yeah. But now you were the boss, right? But the idea here is the firstborn son was in the position of family leadership, and sometimes it may refer to the literal biological firstborn, but it took on a deeper meaning. So what you and I got to catch is a lot of times people think about Jesus being born, Christ being born, two thousand years ago in a manger in Bethlehem, but that's not the concept that's delivered here. In fact, occasionally this idea of the firstborn was the exalted, the leader, the highest one. Roman emperors even uh, made their, they would choose men that they would deem their firstborn that they had no shared DNA with. So for instance, uh, Augustus Caesar chose Tiberius, who would become the next emperor, and he would call him the Prototokos. Okay? All right? It was a position, conveyed privilege, power on an heir. So the idea here is that he is to be, now here's, Brad's already filled in these blanks, but um, Jesus Christ occupies the supreme exalted position. You could say, in simpler language, you could say, first place. Okay, now, um, when we read the creation story, it's clear that God created everything, but there is a second Genesis. It's found in this first chapter of John, the Gospel of John. And our John is going to read the first three verses because this is why it's called the second Genesis. This is going to say, yes, in the beginning, but guess who created? Uh, John, read that for us. First three verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It's identifying Jesus and his place in all of creation. Was he created? No, he's always been. And he was with God in the beginning. And it's 
Notice the amazing harmony of the Bible, the consistency of the Bible, where here Paul is saying he's the firstborn who created, verse 16. John says there was nothing made that wasn't made by him. It's talking about Jesus. So the the idea here is, I think, that... um, um, firstborn here means um, firstborn over creation and authority over first place as its creator. Power and authority here. Now, um, but somebody, if you pick, Cindy, if you'd go back and read verse 16 and 17 out of Colossians. I know I gave you another one to read here in a minute, but read that one if you would. 16 and 17 out of Colossians 1. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How would this, if you've never heard it before, how would this expand your view of who Jesus is? Wow. You know? Say four words with me. By him, for him. Say it. By him, for him. All things were created by him and for him. What does that say about you? You were created by him, for him. So if you haven't found your purpose in Christ, then you are still created by him, but you're not living for him. You catch that? Um, it, it's just kind of really important here. Um, it, it, we see here that Jesus is the beginner of it all. He's the creator of it all. And he's the sustainer of it all. You take Jesus out of the picture as much of our society wants to do. And everything comes apart. All of creation. Those who, um, uh, those scientists who study stuff that I don't even understand and those who create things like the Hubble telescope or, or you know, the, these um, um, space stations and space shuttles and all this stuff, Mars rovers, all this kind of stuff, who may or may not acknowledge what you and I are talking about here today are only discovering what he made <laughs> and what he holds together, according to Scripture. Now... Steve, yes. how do you take that and separate it? Because I've had close friends talk to me about this, that God has authority over everything. Now, I know he does in the end. We have evil in the world. That's how I explain it. But the person I'm thinking about is like the election. He has all control over, you know, because she's praying for the election too. You know, and, and not just the election, but weather and earthquakes and, and you know, forest fires. It's like... You know, God's doing this and this. How do you explain? I mean, I'm not going to get in the argument, but if it was an open discussion, how would I take that versus, okay, you know, everything has a purpose. Everything that happens has a reason. How do I fit that in in like 10 words or less? I want to be real careful, by the way, the, the, the question you're asking, two different questions, and each of them take about three hours to answer. But I'm, yeah. I'm going to give you about a three-minute answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, so... Uh, 
One of the things that's difficult, because a lot of people will say, well, um, everything happens for a reason. Careful with that. Because the reason some of these things happen is sin. Not my sin, not your personal sin, but the, the fact that a tornado hits on this block but misses this block. All of creation is groaning because of sin. Okay, So the stuff that happens that you and I don't like and can't understand has somewhere back there a sin explanation. Okay, uh, Again, that's a three-hour discussion. Okay, um, But I would just say this. God doesn't intend for all of this to happen. In fact, he shows up after it happens. Okay, um, So let me continue with what we're doing, and I think I'll get to... The other part of that. Now, let's, let's, let's go with this. So, how does this play out practically? He is the head, verse 18 says, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. By the way, why is it that he's called the firstborn from among the dead? I get th- thinking about that. Um, wait a minute. He raised a little girl back to life. He raised Lazarus back to life in John 11. Why is he called the firstborn from among the dead? Um, uh, Elijah and Elijah were raising people back, back from the dead. He's the first one who didn't die again. Okay? Lazarus had another funeral. What would it be like to have two funerals? Okay? Lazarus had two funerals. All right? Jesus, nah. He's alive forevermore. That's what we celebrate at Easter, what we should celebrate every Sunday. So that's kind of the idea here. Uh, uh, And the the Bible says here, Paul says here, because he has that place, he's to have first place. Laura, part of the rest of your answer is he has preeminence, but he also leaves us the free will to put him there. And some governments don't put him there. Okay. Now, we could simply say that whatever Jesus says goes, he's the ultimate leader and Lord, and we ought to submit our will to his. I just put it simply, he ought to have first place everywhere. Okay, let's, let's go back to the scriptures now and read 19 down through 22. Ellie, can I get you to go there and read verse 19 down through 22? Yep. Find it? Okay. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile to the attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made minister. We said Jesus Christ is the ultimate leader and Lord and we are to submit our will to his, but how is that possible? Number three, Jesus Christ restores a relationship between God and his people. He just did this himself. 
Okay. Uh, there's a lots of phrases in here that are important. I, I underlined those like um, uh, free from accusation. What were you going to say, Laura? I'm sorry. Past tense. In my Bible, it's like reconciled. Um, He's already done all that work. Yeah. There's nothing I have to do except accept it. Okay, and then live in it. No, that's good. It's right. He's already done it. You're, you're, you're whistling my tune. That's good. Okay, so Paul acknowledges the reality here that we're once excluded from the community of God. Without Christ, we're alienated from God. The, the New Living Translation says we were far away from God. So Paul is affirming here to the Colossian church and to you and me that a person who has not come to Christ is lost. My kids, uh, years ago, I would come home from church on Wednesday night when all, all the kids were still living in Oklahoma City and before we had little bitty kids. And um, they would all be gathered in my living room watching ABC's Lost. Hated that show. But I had to endure it every Wednesday night after I got home from all the stuff I was doing here. And I said, you know what's wrong with these people? They're lost. Okay? Dad. You know, it was a dad thing. People far from God, people that who have not come to Christ are lost. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exclusive way, Laura, to come to him. Who was it that got Acts 4.12? Thank you, Cindy. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. <laughs> no other name. <clears throat> R.C. Sproul said, the question is not, why is there only one way? He, he, in, in one masterful chapter, he walks us through the history of the Old Testament and Every, um, every rebellion man made, um, the people of God made in the Old Testament. He takes you all the way through the Old Testament in one chapter of, of, of a small book that is dripping with truth. And he says, the question is, why is there only one way? The question isn't, why is there only one way? The question is, why is there any way at all? The beauty is, the hope is, there is a way. And Peter says, there's one name. So when you sing it, think about that a little bit. When you sing that name, when you pray that name, think about it a little bit. Now, uh, again, the Bible is consistent here. Uh, I'm not reading from the NIV, but maybe you are. If you look at verse 22, mine says, yet. Yours, if you're reading the NIV, probably says, but now. Those are great words. It's a great way to express this. But now, it carries such fresh relevance in our lives. But now, in Christ we're made new. Did I give somebody 2 Corinthians 5.17? I can't remember if I did or not. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things passed away. All things have become new. The NIV says it this way, Laura. The old is gone. The new has come. Now, uh, the important question here is, in Christ we're made new, but is salvation automatic? Do I have to respond? Uh, do I just passively enjoy eternal life because of what Jesus has done? You said it a little bit ago. 
Paul anticipates that question as he finishes this section of Scripture. And he, the answer is clearly no. We've got a role to play. Our response, uh, and I'm going to read verse 23 here. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed at all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. He answers the question, our response is to accept and to persevere. Now, why is it important, we've been talking about this really all summer before we even got into, into Colossians, why is it important to continue in your faith? Um, uh, he says here, uh, it's kind of beautiful, I think, in, in verse 23, he says here, um, don't move away from your hope. Don't move away from your hope. Uh, we've talked about, about that hope all, all summer. So um, the idea, it's important to continue in your faith. It's important to accept him by faith and then continue in that faith, firmly established and steadfast. That's kind of the idea. Um, um, uh, not moving away from the hope of the gospel. So don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, what does this say about the genuineness of their faith and ours? My faith is proven by how I walk, by how I live, by how I treat other people. Okay, so I want to stop off for a minute. We got about three, three, four minutes left. What did you learn about Christ in this section? Maybe not today, maybe another time, but maybe today. What did you learn about Jesus in this section? Definition of firstborn. I've always wondered. He. He, he was certainly Mary and Joseph's firstborn, yeah, but, but he was over all creation. In that sense, is what it's talking about here. Okay. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. He holds all things together. Holds everything together. And Paul says, why? So that in him, so that you, you and I might place him in his rightful position in first place. Now. I have one. Okay. He reconciled us back to God. He paid the price for our sins that we would have eternal life. And he did this on the cross for us. He died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he died that I might live. Isn't it interesting, Nadine, to me, I've gotten to thinking about this kind of a, with a sanctified imagination. Do you, imagine, do you suppose that when Epaphras got back and started leading people to faith in Christ and he started this church, you know, don't you know there were a lot of prayer meeting nights where, where they would say, uh, well, what about this? And Epaphras would say, you know, I don't really know. I'm going to have to go back one of these days to Paul and ask him that question. And now he's answering a lot of those questions. Okay, it's so important here. So I want you to go with me to uh, two things in closing. Verse 15, he's the image of, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You were made, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you were made, I was made in his image. Uh, the idea here is, he shows you not only what God is like, he also shows you what man was supposed to be like. Jesus died. 
Okay? He not only shows you this is what God is like, but if you and I were created in his image, he's showing me what I'm supposed to be like too. Follow his example. Look at verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. My question is, does he have first place in you? Only you can place him there. Somebody years ago um, uh, taught me through this a little bit. That he's, they made the true statement that, in, that uh, a person who has accepted Christ in all Christians, Christ is present. I think you'd agree with that. You would probably agree with the second statement that in some people, in some people, maybe many, many Christians, Christ is prominent. That's a good thing. It sounds like that's what I'm looking for, Christ to be prominent. But this person said, in only a few Christians is Christ preeminent. Oh. So is he present only? Is he kind of prominent and maybe somebody notices that about you. Or is he preeminent in your life? Does he have first place? So what I'm going to ask you to do as a commitment to what we've learned today, Paul says, move on. Don't move on from your hope, but put Jesus in his right place. What's his right place in all of creation? First place. Therefore, what's his right place in your heart in life? First place. Wayne? First. Uh, he's always been with us. He was there in the beginning. Before the beginning, you could argue, Joanne. Wayne? Genesis 1 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. That's the there is an implication of the Trinity right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creation. Well, I know this was deep theology today. I hope I helped unpack it a little bit. We'll start with verse 24 next week, and we'll go around to about uh, chapter 2, verse 5. So I'll see you. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for hanging out with me today.